Somebody say amen. amen. Okay, five people. That's fine. That's good. Uh, children, you are dismissed to your classrooms. As, as they make their way to their classrooms, please make sure, and the Sunday school teachers, please make sure that your cell phones are all turned off or on silent mode. And if you have your Bibles, please turn them over to Matthew. I'm going to be reading first. Actually, we're going to start with Luke 24. We're going to be reading verses 1 to 11, and then we're going to jump to Matthew 28. And then I'm going to be reading 11 to 20. The verses will not be on the screen, as I promised the last time I was up here. So I hope you have your Bible apps or your Bibles. It's Luke 24, 1 to 11. And then we'll go to Matthew 28, 11 to 20. Let's begin reading. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the, the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Jump now to Matthew 28, 11 to 20. The Heather is the guards report. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story had been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. The Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let's open up in the word of prayer, then we'll get to the message. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We thank you for another day of life. We thank you especially for this day and what it represents, the day that our Lord, your begotten Son, resurrecting from the grave revealing and proving that He is God in the flesh, dying on the cross for our sins and then resurrecting on the third day as You have promised so that we can be saved from our sins that we've committed against You. We thank You for the songs that have been sang to us by the praise and worship team and the families and the women. May You bless them as You bless all Your people, all Your workers in this church of Yours here in FICF. We ask now, Lord God, as we always do, that you teach us through your Holy Spirit, by your word, and use me again as your vessel, Lord God. Give me the wisdom to know what to say, what not to say, 
and give all of us the wisdom, Lord God, to understand and comprehend whatever it is that you're wanting to tell us. Open our hearts and our minds, Lord God. May you bless every soul that is in this building, Father. And Father, I ask for my blessings for my preparations, but Lord, please supersede it as you see fit. Forgive us, Lord, for all of our sins. Let nothing, Lord God, about us hinder you from hearing us, our prayers and you speaking to us. In your son's mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. I entitled our message, Cancel Culture versus Jesus' Resurrection. Cancel culture is so popular these days. If you disagree, they'll cancel you. <laughs> That's my first joke. Then to my next joke. Uh, you know, um, I'm going to give you a few jokes here just to kind of liven you up a little bit because the message is, I think, heavy. Uh, you guys remember Bong? Bong became a taxi driver. So Bong, the taxi driver, and a pastor, his pastor, died in an accident. So past, uh, the pastor and Bong went to heaven, and they met Peter by the pearly gates. And then uh, St. Peter said to Bong, the taxi driver, come with me. So Bong went with, followed St. Peter to a mansion. He had everything you could imagine, from a bowling alley to an Olympic-sized Olympic pool. So Bong said, oh my word, thank you, Lord, says Bong. Then next... St. Peter went to the pastor, and uh, he led the pastor a rough old shack with a bunk bed and an old television set. You know those Trinitron Sony TVs, the heavy ones? 27 inches. So, so the pastor goes, wait, wait, wait. There must have been a little mixed up here. I mean, I'm a pastor. Shouldn't I be getting a mansion? After all, I preached every Sunday, and I fed the flock, preaching God's word. How come that taxi driver got a better place than I did? True, said Peter. But during your Easter sermons, people slept. <laughs> when Bong, the taxi driver, people prayed when he drove. <laughs> I think that worked. <laughs> And then, and, then, and then, you know, there was this Bong. Bong went to Jerusalem. You know, Bong would, went to Jerusalem with his mother-in-law. They did the Holy Land, Holy Land tour, you know. Uh, so he was with his wife and his cranky mother-in-law. You know, they went there. And then unfortunately, while in their vacation, the mother-in-law died. Uh-huh. Then the, the undertaker told them, you can have her ship back to the Philippines for $5,000, or you can bury her here in the Holy Land for $150. Then Bong, Bong, the ever smart Bong, thought about it for a while and then told the undertaker to just have her shipped back to the Philippines. The undertaker was surprised. He goes, man, you're Filipino. You should be smart with your money. I mean, $5,000 versus $150. Why are you having your shipped over there? And he goes, man, I, I was just... Doing the tour. 2,000 years ago, a man was buried and then rose again. I can't take that risk. <laughs> anyway, you guys can cancel me next week. So, cancel, cancel culture versus Jesus' resurrection. We live, you know, we live in a world now, in a society, especially here in America, that there's this group of people, you know, they just got to ga they just have to gather their their gangster, their keyboard gangsters, you know, and they just have they troll everything, and then if they don't agree, if you say something that they they do not agree with, they'll propose for your cancellation. If it's not aligned with their beliefs and their agenda or their political point of view, you will be canceled. If they just get enough of the people to, enough on that movement, they will cancel you. Isn't that somehow similar to how people approach Jesus and his, his resurrection? For tonight's topic, his resurrection. People want to cancel the truth about Jesus and everything about his resurrection because they do not agree with it. Now, does it make it true 
When a lot of people say one thing, when there's the majority speaks the truth, is that the truth? I, I remind you of when Jesus was taken to that mockery of a court hearing. A lot of people were yelling to crucify him. Majority won that day, but was it the right thing to do? Majority doesn't necessarily mean the truth. And our feelings doesn't necessarily mean the truth. Not because we don't want to be married anymore doesn't mean that's the right thing to do based on what God wants us to do. Not because we don't want to give to the Lord because we don't feel like it doesn't necessarily mean that's the truth. Not because we don't want to obey God and everything that's written down on the Word of God, not because we don't feel like it, not because our hearts say, I don't want it, doesn't necessarily mean that's the right thing to do. Correct? The truth is written down here in the Word of God. And the truth is, as we have heard all the songs, and for, for most of us here, we've celebrated Resurrection Sunday time and time again, and we celebrate it with our utmost excitement. Because we know that if Jesus did not resurrect from the dead, our faith will fail. So some biblical principles here. The resurrection. Now the Bible teaches that all men have sinned against God. And the only payment of that sin we have that we committed against Him is by the shedding of blood. That's why there were uh, sacrifices in the Old Testament, the animal sacrifices. Blood must be shed. And we know the accuracy of the Bible about the resurrection points all the way back to the Old Testament. Here are those verses here. There's a generally all the theology of the resurrection of Jesus. It started from Job. You could go see it in Job 19, 25 to 27, Psalm 49, 15, and up to down, down to Isaiah 53, 10 to 11, and then Daniel 12, 2 to 3. It reveals that the Messiah, in particular, would be raised from the dead. It will, he would be raised from the dead. And then what happened to Jesus was not... A surprise to him. It was their plan. As Jesus said it in Mark 8.31. He predicted his death and his resurrection. Then he, be he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Imagine this. You heard this. You read this. The, the apostles heard this many times when they were with him. But yet when it happened, when Jesus was captured, what happened to them? They scattered, right? The accuracy of the Bible, folks, is what I want us to start with. The accuracy of the Bible. We might not know the right timing of things, but we know that they've already happened they happened according to how it was prophesied. And the things to, to come, they're all written down there. So for you, believer, who have not read your Bible, your entire Bible from cover to cover, not just your Our Daily Bread snippet, Mark 8.31 type of reading, that but doing your Bible journey, how are you equipping yourself against the attacks of the enemy if you're not educating yourself about the theology, about the teachings, about Jesus, about His promises. Because it's so accurate. You know, in Psalm 22, I don't think I have it there, huh? In Psalm 22, presents a clear and accurate description of the process of the crucifixion. Centuries before crucifixion was first practiced. Psalm 22 was written way before the Roman Empire, and before they practiced crucifixion. Psalm 69 speaks of the vinegar Jesus would be offered to drink on the cross. Isaiah 50 foretells that Jesus would be spat on, that his beard would be plucked, and that he would be hit in the face. Way before Jesus was, was born. Isaiah 52 and 53 describes how Jesus will be beat, beaten for our sins, bruised for our iniquities. 
all those have been written years before Jesus was actually crucified and beaten and died for our sins. What does that mean for us? It means that this Bible that we have in our dispense, we must take serious. I don't mean you putting it in, the, in, your, in your car and say, Oh, Lord, please bless my car. I'll put the Bible right by my dashboard so accidents will be far away. Put it, open it to Psalm 50. Open it at your house so that COVID will not enter your home. I'm not calling. That's, that's your superstition. Don't treat the Bible that way. The Bible is God's word. The Bible is God's instructions for us. It is our instructions so that we will live for him, so we will know that he is always with us, even if we don't feel like it, even if it doesn't seem like it. That's the accuracy. Now, going back, what are the objections? That's the accuracy. Sorry, I had it. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're fast forward. How about the objections? The objections about... The objections about the resurrection. There are two things I want to tackle. Some people say people back then were naive and uninformed. Hence, they were unreliable and biased. And then the second one, lack of evidence. Meaning people are smarter now versus back then. And technology now can easily dispel or disprove a lie um, compared to back then. Meaning these accounts in the Bible are unreliable and not the truth. That's why I started with the accuracy of the Bible. Everything that were written down there on what happened to Jesus was written down years before it happened. But we're going to tackle these two objections tonight as our Resurrection Sunday message. That's our introduction. Let's begin. <laughs> the guests are like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 16 to 17 reads, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, what's the natural reaction if you see someone that you know died three days ago, and then now you're seeing him and he's speaking to you and you're touching him and he's touching you. What's your natural reaction? I'll tell you what mine will be. What did I eat this morning? I might have eaten something bad. What, am I seeing things? Because I know this guy, I saw him die on the cross three days ago. So that's why the account says some doubted. Some doubted. That's the natural reaction of any normal human being, is to wonder why they're seeing the person that they know died three days ago. However, there's this however thing here. The disciples here, Matthew in particular, wrote these accounts. Matthew and Mark were written 15 years after the resurrection. So the timeline is key because most of the people who can prove who can verify and disprove or disqualify that this event really happened or not. So if this was a make-up story, you will, pro you will need to write this when you know the whole village that knew that Jesus died are all dead already. So that no one can argue with you. But this was written... 15 years, enough time, enough time to where people can still argue with you or disprove you. So historically speaking, history will prove that the most skeptical people to believe of a man being God and a man resurrecting from the dead are Jewish people, are Jewish people. They are the most skeptical people to believe that a man can be God. But these 11 men were convinced to a point that they gave their lives to spread the gospel, to spread the truth. Their lives changed because of this truth and some other people. This was 2,000 years ago. If this was a make-up, made-up story, you think it would have still be around 
now? But up to now, up to now, from then up to now, people are still trying to make this story go away. Matthew 28, 11 and 15, we read it earlier. You remember the, the chief priest paid the guards to say a different narrative, to give a fake news report. <laughs> Very popular these days, right? We don't even know who to listen to anymore. <laughs> they, gave, they paid them. They paid them. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money. You are to say, up to now, people are given a large sum of money to say certain things to attack the Christian faith. And a lot of avenues, a lot of billion-dollar companies still spend their money to try to disprove and fight Christianity. If you don't believe it, your eyes are closed. Your eyes are closed. Your ears are closed. Your minds are closed. We are now told to accept the fact that there are, two, there are more than two genders. And then if you argue with them, they'll cancel you. <laughs> right? You are now told that it is okay to, to, to do certain things that is against the Bible. And that you're close-minded if you want to follow what's written down in the Bible. And it says here, and this story has been widely circulated for centuries, centuries now. Many have tried to argue the truth, to hide the truth, but none has withstood the truth that the tomb where Jesus was buried is empty. It's empty. Just by reading the scriptures alone should tell us that these accounts are not biased, but are eyewitnesses' accounts. The Gospel of Mark and Matthew were written 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, 40 and 15, I'm seeing, enough time to verify, verify or falsify the claim because of the fact that most of the people that were there, are, were, when they wrote these things, People were still alive. People that witnessed it. 1 Corinthians, remember Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8? He speaks about the witnesses here. Him and the, and the disciples. And then he said there, 500 of whom, most of whom are still living. Was, I, I get it. When we read the Bible... For us, for some of us, we still need to get away from the, the cartoon factor of it in our, hand, in, in our minds. We have to get away from our Sunday school uh, moments for some of us who grew in the Christian, Christian uh, family. Some of us, we, we read the Da Vinci Code and we think, you know, that's the truth. Because we don't do enough study. We depend on the documentaries that we read, uh, that we watch on Netflix more than our, us reading the Bible. But this here, this is a letter from Paul to the Corinthian church, somehow daring them. There are 500, and then some commentary says that's really more than 500 because before, women were not counted. They would not count the accounts of women. So that must have been more than 500 people. And he is daring the reader of whom some are still living. Basically saying, if you doubt me, go over there and ask them. This is Paul who gave up his, his, his position in the church because he met the resurrected Christ in the street of Damascus. This is the same Paul that lived a very prestigious Popular Pharisee life. He had it made. But he gave it all away because he met the resurrected Christ. And he cannot turn away from the truth. Unfortunately, some of us were like the guards. We're like the Roman guards. If the price is right, if the price is right, I'll give up God. We don't say it, but we give him up in certain ways and certain things. We'll pick up a shift, knowing that we can't worship anymore. 
We'll pick up a, a client knowing that we can't be at church anymore. We'll get into crazy business dealings. We know that it's against God's will, but yet we do it because we've justified it. Some of us, some of us are the, the guards. But our prayer, our goal, God, what God wants from us is that knowing the truth, knowing the truth, having enough evidence, having enough evidence that Jesus is alive, we sh our lives should change. It should, it, it should be away from opinion and it, it should become a conviction. An opinion is what you have and it can change as time goes by. But a conviction is something that grips you. It grips you and you can't run away from it. You, it, it just grabs a hold of you. Some of us, we don't have that conviction yet. That Jesus is alive. That Jesus resurrected from the dead. And then I know we've been talking about the resurrection, but why did he, why did he have to resurrect anyway? Because he died. He died on the cross. For what? For our sins. Because, if, because that was needed. Remember his, his prayer in the garden? In the garden of Gethsemane? Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup away from me. But yet not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Is that just a nice movie to watch now? We'll take it for a weekend, Passion Week. Oh, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. And the rest of the years, what? We go back. Oh, I'll come back to church. Easter, Christmas, and my birthday. You know, we, we, have, to, we have to be convicted of the truth about who God is. That He is alive and He wants us to live for Him. Now, historians concluded that this letter from Paul was written 15 years. I know I've been getting this mixed up. So, Matthew and Mark, 40 years after Jesus' resurrection. Paul, 15 years after the resurrection. Again, still enough time. Enough time to verify or falsify with the eyewitnesses of those who are around for that event. Now, Paul mentioning him and his disciples being very specific with the number 500 implies, and there's the reader who doubts. If you doubt, go ask. There are many that know that Jesus is alive. Do you think that's enough evidence? Some people say, oh, I don't know. There should be more. How about this one? Now, if, if this was a made-up story, if this was a fable, if this was a, something that they have, they just generated, you will not, during their time, there was, there, it would have been a big mistake to use women as your witnesses. Women were used to be the first witnesses. Now, why in a society and culture where women were considered as secondary citizens. You know, I don't, I don't believe it, okay? That was them, okay? Don't, don't cancel me. It was them. <laughs> women were considered secondary citizens. Their, their, their testimony in the, the court will not stand because they, weren't, they were nothing during that time. Their words meant nothing. But why did God choose them? And then, and then it would have paid, paid well, it would have been smart for the gospel writers to exclude that. Just jump straight to Peter and John running to the tomb. Why put this account about the women being there? You know why? Because it happened. That's the only reason why they would write it there. Because it's the truth. It's not a made-up thing. The first century people did not care about women's testimony whatsoever. But God revealed himself to the ones that were excluded, just like Jesus, just like the shepherds. Remember? When Jesus was born, the first people that, that the angel called to witness the birth of Jesus were shepherds, the ones that the world could care less about. Just like David the shepherd boy was the one chosen by God to defeat Goliath. That's how, God, how good God is. He chooses the lowest of the world. 
Now, going back to the resurrection and it being an evidence, the evidence here is for them to write women as being the first witnesses just tells us that these, these scriptures are eyewitnesses account and they are real. Some of you are saying, I believe it. What does that have to do with me now? I believe it. Tell me what I need to do with it. We'll get there. <laughs> so if that's not enough, right? Some of you will, are, are probably sitting there and you're saying, okay, fine. There's evidence. But how am I to know that those evidence are really, I mean, could, even, could it even stand in court? How about if these evidence were examined by a child attorney? Sir Lionel Lockhu, 1914 1997 is considered one of the greatest lawyers in British history. He is recorded in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's most successful advocate. With 245 consecutive murder acquittals, he was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II twice. To be knighted once is enough, but he was knighted twice. Lockwood declared, I humbly add, I have spent more than 42 years as a defense trial attorney, defense trial lawyer, appearing in many parts of the world, and I am still in active practice. I have been fortunate to secure a number of successes in jury trials, and I say unequivocally, the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely no room doubt. Sir Lionel Lockhu, the question answered, did Jesus rise from the dead? Lockhu booklets. He wanted to disprove the truth about Jesus and his resurrection. Because if you can disprove the resurrection of Jesus, you disprove God completely. Because if Jesus did not resurrect, then Jesus, everything that Jesus said before that would have just been canceled. You could ignore it. He wasn't the son of God. If he could not, if he did not resurrect from the dead, our, we will still all be dead in our sins if he did not resurrect from the dead. Because him dying on the cross was just a crazy man dying on the cross and saying, I'm the Son of God. No, but he resurrected from the dead. So if you're if you're wondering how do I share the gospel, you start with the resurrection. Well, I don't know, I don't know enough. Yeah, go ahead and read your Bible. So you'll know enough. Well, I, I, you know, I fear, I fear rejection. Go pray. Pray. Because the approval that you want is from God, not the approval of men. And if you believe that what you have is a true gift, your salvation is real, you would want to share that. Do you agree? Maybe not. Because you think your family, your loved ones, your friends, maybe they'll live forever, right? And maybe someone else will be more bold to share the gospel to them, right? Maybe you just bring them to church and then they'll hear the gospel. No, Christians, we're all charged to share the gospel because we hold it. I know it's April. We just ended March. How many times this year so far have we shared the gospel? I know, hard question. It's something we need to face. We are charged to do this. The, again, an evidence. Evidence. The evidence of God's resurrection. Jesus' resurrection. How about when it was examined by investig an investigative reporter? This is least trouble from the case of Christ. The case for Christ. Page 287 in his book. In, on November, 9, November 8, 1981, my legend thesis, to which I had doggedly clung for for so many years, had been thoroughly dismantled. What's, what's more, my journalistic skepticism toward the supernatural had melted in light of the breathtaking historical event. In fact, my mind could not conjure up a single explanation that fit the evidence of history nearly as well as the conclusion that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the one and only Son of God. The atheism I had embraced for so long buckled under the weight of historical truth. It was stunning and radical outcome. 
Certainly not what I anticipated when I embarked on this investigative process, but it was, in my opinion, a decision compelled by facts. He started this investigation so that he can tell his wife, who became a Christian, to tell her what you're doing is stupid because it is not real. And in the process, God saved him. And last one. How about if he was examined by a scientist? Now, this scientist, is, his name is Joshua Samidas, Swamidas. Yeah, he's a scientist, and he, he's over at the Washington University in St. Louis. This is his um, um, open letter, I would say, the Resurrection Evidence and the Scientist. With dates established by radiometric analysis, prophecies from centuries before Jesus' birth predict his life, death, and resurrection. The greatest scientist, Blas Pascal, identifies this as the tangible proof for people who want evidence that God exists. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. That's the tangible proof. The early accounts of the resurrection and prophecies predicting it were reliably transmi transmitted through history. As of 2014, folks, more than 66,000 early manuscripts are known. Orders of magnitude more than other ancient texts. Many are carbon dated to, be, to before Jesus' time on earth and the few, first few centuries after. We see accounts nearly unaltered in the earliest manuscripts. A pattern of consistency emerges. There are variations in the manuscripts, but nothing invalidates the reliability of the resurrection accounts. So if by any reason, for some odd moment, you started doubting if your faith is real, you have to look at the evidence. You have to look. If Jesus did not resurrect, then fine, go live your life. Party hardy till you die. But if Jesus resurrected, a scientist, has, scientists, you know, scientists, they go in here and there, right? But this guy and some other scientists I'll read later, an investigative reporter, an attorney, a very successful trial attorney, looked at the evidence and they come to the conclusion that Jesus resurrected from the dead, then what are you supposed to say about that? Who are we to question that? I guess we are to question it. From time to time, it's good to question it. But we have to look at the real facts and we have to go past what we feel at that moment and look at the evidence. And if the evidence is true, that Jesus is alive, what does that mean? That means that we have to live for him. Uh, next slide, please. If the resurrection is true, how does this change the way I live? More than just a fact about our past, the resurrection creates a connection to God that is perceived by people from all times, cultures, social economic statuses, personalities, and mental capacities. Across the, last, across the world in the last 2,000 years of history, it reach includes some of the most famous scientists, Blas Pascal, Johann Kepler, Robert Boyle, Gregor Mendel, Asa Gray, Michael Faraday, James Maxwell, Santiago Ramon y Cajal, and Francis Collins. Now question, is this, un is this unmatched reach and influence a sign of a living God working His purpose in history? Because all these years, people have been trying to disprove the resurrection. But great minds have agreed that Jesus resurrected. People with keen observation, with the talent and the study, have proven that Jesus resurrected. So, how does it change our lives? We read it earlier, and it's very popular. Matthew 28, <laughs> 18 to 20. He reads here, Then Jesus came to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. Now this is, this is, this is what happened here. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, looked at his disciples, his disciples, right? The fishermen, the uneducated guys, the guys with the roughest and toughest demeanors. He said, all right, guys, you see me, I resurrected. All authority has been given to me. Now go change the world. And what did they say? Yes. They said yes, right? It's not Jared that said yes, but they said yes. The disciples, yes, we will go. Why? Because if Jesus rose from the dead, and then he has all authority under, uh, in, under heaven and on earth, then everything's possible. Everything is possible if you believe in him. Now, do we live our lives like that? Do we live our lives like that as Christians? I'm talking to the Christians. Now, what does this mean to the unbeliever? You have to, you have to surrender to the truth. That Jesus resurrected, that he died on the cross for your sins. That if you have not accepted that gift, you're saying that his sacrifice on the cross, his work on the cross, isn't enough so that you have to add to it. How in the world can you add to that perfect work? When Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, it is also translated by saying, it is paid for, it is done. Do we really think that we can add more to that? When Jesus said, it is finished, I paid for your sins. I died already. And me resurrecting from the dead, that means if you believe in me, you will have victory over your sins. So for the unbeliever, if the resurrection is true, it is time that you accept the gift of salvation through Jesus. For the believer, for the believer, that if you believe in the resurrected Christ, it is time that you go and make. It is time that you go and make. Make money? <laughs> I'm all about making money. There is time. There is a time about making money, but that's not what God wants for us, right? He says, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. You know, if, if you're thinking, how can I be? Man, how can God use me, man? You know, 1 Corinthians 1, 26-28 reads, Brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Verse 27, it's life-changing for me. I hope it is for you. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Verse 28, God chose the lowly things of this world and despise things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Jesus' resurrection proves that he is who he says he is and that he has the authority. If you believe in him, he will empower you to do what? To do your will? No, to do his will. Not because we don't feel like it, or we don't like it, it doesn't mean it's not true. Correct? We don't like to think about children getting raped, do we? No. That's a no. That's a strong no. But it happens, sadly. We don't want to think about people going hungry for days are not eating. But it happens. It happens. We don't like to think that, 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 that our dogs eat better than some of our Filipino countrymen in the Philippines. But it happens. It's the truth. We don't like the, the rules and regulations that God has placed upon us because it seems to be boring. Why does God push marriage anyway? 
Why does God push marriage? Because marriage, because sex was invented to be enjoyed in marriage. Why does God push the gender? I feel like a boy, even though I know I'm a girl, but I feel like a boy. But it says in the Bible, God created man and woman. Those things are placed to protect us. Now the cancel culture, they're scary in a way. They're scary in a way because you have to agree with them. Or else there's many of them. That's why I stay off on those common things, you know. Try not to argue because you will never win. To cancel out the resurrection or deny the resurrection, there are many things that will be left unanswered if you cancel it. Like how did a small band of disempowered Jews in an occupied and insignificant territory of ancient Rome accomplish this unequaled act to change the world, to spread Christianity? What happened so many years ago that reframed all human history? Without the physical resurrection, 2,000 years of history are left begging for explanation. It's like a movie missing a key scene. No other event in all recorded history has reached so far across national, ethnic, religious, linguistic, cultural, political, and geographic borders. The message spread with unreasonable success across the world. During just the few, first few centuries, it spread without political or, or military power, prevailing against the ruthless efforts of dedicated, organized, and violent opposition. After Jesus' violent death, his followers were frightened and scattered. Then something happened that grew a strong, bold, and confident belief that resisted, sustained, murderous opposition. Unlike other movements with ex executed leaders, once they came back together, they did not replace Jesus with one of his family members. Their resistance was entirely nonviolent and devoid of political power. Yet they were all suddenly willing to die for what they saw. What changed them? Why was there not evidence at the time to undermine their belief? What convinced them that Jesus was inconceivably greater than his family? To cancel or deny the resurrection has been an impossible task that the opposition has tried time and time and time again. The group of believers in Jesus' time, if that was a makeup thing, if they made it up, don't you think... That after they killed the, 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 the Jewish priest, killed Jesus, don't you think they would have said, okay, enough of that, enough. We were just joking. No. Peter, who's, who denied Jesus three times, to the point of death, did not deny Jesus. And to, uh, he said, I do not deserve to be crucified like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. Thomas, the doubter, died with a spear thrown at him across his body. He doubted God, but he went to India. He was sent to India, a land full of, of many, many religions. If it were not true, if it were not true, you think they would give up their lives? Now here's from Tim Keller. From his uh, teaching, belief in an age of skepticism. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Folks, Jesus is alive. If that is your belief, then you have to believe in everything that he has said. We have to be convicted of that, and we have to live our lives according to that truth.
Why are we still playing around with him? And lastly, John 14, 19. Before long, the world would not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. That is the message of the resurrection. If Jesus did not resurrect, then he is not God. But because he resurrected, then he is God. Because he resurrected, then those who will put their faith upon him, on the sacrifice on the cross that he did, will be forgiven. But those of us who believe in all of that, we need to live for him. Amen? Now, I don't know how your story is going to end. We all have our story, our life stories, right? And we all have our time on this earth. One time, one day, we don't know how. It's not a matter of if we die. It's a matter of when we die. Now, I don't know how your story is going to end. But when your story ends and you have Jesus as your Lord, you will live with Jesus. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your message to us tonight. I pray for your people and for the soul that you are saving tonight. For the unbeliever, Lord God, may they be humble and be accepting of your message of salvation, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, for your believers, your followers, Lord God. May we all live out the truth that you have revealed to us again tonight. May your words, Lord God, as, as it was being read, as we were hearing them, Father, may our hearts be placed on fire. That we will live for you. That our lives will be a pleasing aroma to you, Father God. Now we pray for this entire week that's coming, Lord God. We pray that our lives will reflect everything that we have heard tonight. That our lives will reflect your glory. That our lives will glorify your name. We pray all of this in your son's name. And all the Lord's people said, Amen, Amen. amen. Let's all rise.